Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. So we ask you to help us be present this morning. Lord, we just bless you. You are the high priest forever. And you're, you're the high priest who's ever before the Father on our behalf. And you know every man, woman, and child in this room. You know every mountain that needs to come down. You know every chain that needs to be broken. Lord, you see the tears. You know the struggles. And Lord, we just want to bless you and praise you this morning that you're still Jesus of Nazareth, still, still walking the streets of our lives and our cities and our towns. You're real. You're alive. And you're here this morning. And Father, I just ask you that you would anoint my words with your authority and that you would uh, speak a word in season to the heart of every person in this room. Father, that it would go far beyond my words and that they would be your words this morning. And Father, I pray that your kingdom will come now and that your will will be done in this room. I pray that peace will fall in this place this morning. I pray that healing will come. I pray that your life will flow. I pray that darkness will flee. Fear will go in your name. And that we'll leave here people that have touched you, connected with you in a fresh way as we gather together in your name. Amen. 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 Well, we've had an amazing few weeks, I think. Um, those of you that have been here, you know that Pastor James started off with a series on um, soul custody. And we found out and we were encouraged that we have a soul. You know, and the scripture says, uh, Jesus himself said, uh, what does it profit a man, woman, if they gain the whole world and lose their soul? And in fact, there's one story of a man who uh, was building his barns, remember, and building and building and uh, he kept saying, well, you know, when I get these barns done, I'm just going to build more barns. And, and one night, it says, the scripture says, and God came and said, you fool, tonight your soul is required of you. So we know the emphasis that Jesus and the Bible put on, put on our soul. And uh, so that was, a, that was the beginning, I think, of something God's been saying and a flow of the spirit in here in these last weeks. So we started with that, and then I picked up on um, the With God Life, which we're going to talk about a little bit more this morning. Uh, and then Pastor Tom, you remember, was here, and Pastor Tom talked to us about um, getting out of the chair of God in our lives. And uh, boy, did a lot of people resonate to that. How many of you really resonated to get out? I heard a lot of people saying, you know, speaking to each other and saying, Get out of the chair. And I don't know about you, but did you say that to yourself too? Some, yeah, 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 me too. Get out of the chair. Um, and so we talked about that, and then Pastor James came in again last week and talked about practicing the presence of the Lord in our lives. Uh, that moment by moment, uh, moment by moment connection with God. Well, when I was talking, when I started a few weeks ago, when I was talking about the with God life, um, 
Uh, I started by saying something about, are you really okay with me taking my shoes off? Is anybody really grossed out by me taking my shoes off? You don't mind, do you? Thanks. I'm home, and I really, the stairs make me nervous. Okay, there you go. So there you go. I'm home. Now I'm good. Um, so we talked about um, one of the things that I, I think we alluded to that day was this. You know, probably many sermons that we hear, we hear about the fall of man. It's where it all started in the book of Genesis, right? We hear people talk about it over and over again. And so we hear the fall and we think, okay, so man fell. And so he's not quite, you know, what God wanted him to be. He ate at the wrong tree. So we think, okay, well, I guess man has to be tweaked a little bit. You know, maybe he, we just, uh, we're a little negative on thinking, you know. We tend a little bit more toward maybe depression and things like that. So what we really need is a, a little tweak from God. And, and the Christian life is kind of like that little tweak. Well, in reality, nothing could be further from the truth. Because it'll take eternity for us to really grasp how deep that fall was. And one of the things we began by saying was that that fall was a fall from God consciousness into the hell of self-consciousness, where now self would reign and sit on the throne that only God should sit on. It's interesting uh, because in that garden, you know, there were two trees, and uh, one of them was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and one was the tree of life. And we're going we're gonna to be touching that a little bit later. But the issue in that, in that garden was that life was rejected, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was really getting in the chair, getting in that chair, and acting and living life as though I was in God's place. So do you see, in, the, in that garden, what happened is God was taken out of his rightful place. And so now what we see centuries and centuries and centuries until we get to the Christmas story when now God is, a, God is now coming to put his foot down and be put in his rightful place. You know, in that garden... When, when we fell, when humanity fell, God said that uh, there would be a curse. Now, it wasn't really that God cursed it. He was explaining the results now of this fall. And it's very interesting because he said two things. He said one thing to the woman and one thing to the man. Extremely critical. He said to the man that you will, you will till the soil with the sweat of your brow. And that would be the curse. To the woman, he said, he will have rule over you. And Leanne Payne, one of my favorite authors, says this. She said, forever what this would, how this would work out in the lives of men and women. Men would now forever be tempted to get their self-worth and their identity from what they did tilling the soil by the sweat of their brow. In other words, man, men would ask, tell me who I am of their career, of their professional life, of their 
uh, activities. Tell me who I am would drive men in a way that would absolutely uh, be the effect that was never God's intention. But man would now be driven in this way. We see, you know, we see work addiction. We see, we see, we see that work itself out in a lot of ways, don't we, in, in the lives of, of men? What about the woman? I've sat and listened to a lot of women in my life. And this was the curse to her. The man will rule over you. And so women have, since that day, been asking men, who am I? You see, from that fall, the, we became bent. And what does that mean? It means we're now bent to something else to find our identity from, to find our fulfillment in, to find our peace and our joy in. We are bent to something. Now, listen, work is good, and men are good. You know, girls, men, men are nice. They're good. We're not against men, right? But how many know you're not supposed to get your identity out of your husband? You're supposed to get your identity out of God. And when he is in his rightful place, your husband is respected and loved in a way he can never be if he's going to sit on the throne of your, of your life. And trust me, probably nine out of the ten things I've sat with women and talked about over the years is this very issue. What do women str struggle with today? What we look like, what we weigh, you know, getting older. And so much of it is derived. Talking to young women in their 20s and who aren't, you know, haven't found the right guy yet. In their 30s haven't found the right guy yet. And it's like life cannot begin until a man tells me who I am. Ladies, that's the bent from the fall. That is, that is the result of what the fall has done in the lives of us women. So here we have, so we've, been, we've fallen into self-consciousness. If there's any attribute I think I admire more than anything else in a person is lack of self-consciousness. When you're with somebody, that's what we love about children so much, don't we? They so lack that self-consciousness. If they don't like you, they tell you. If they want to go on their diaper, I mean, I'm not advocating going in your diapers, okay. But children are so lacking um, for that certain period of time in their lives. You know, of course they want to please, but they lack that self-consciousness that is a prison. That's a prison. And have you lived long enough to experiment to find out what a prison it is when you're the center of your life. When you live from the morning till night thinking about yourself and what you need and what you did what and who's meeting those needs and now it now this has been since the garden this has gone on but what's different today is we have a culture that now has baptized this mindset. And now we just say, you know what? I know what your problem is. You just don't love yourself enough. That's your real problem. Hmm. 
May I tell you something this morning in the name of the Lord? Your problem is you love yourself too much. That's what the gospel does. The gospel doesn't say you have to love yourself more. The Bible assumes love others as you love yourself. It assumes you know how to love yourself. If you're cold, you get a sweater. If you feel thirsty, you get a drink. Uh, we know how to love ourselves. Now, I'm not diminishing that there are some real mental and emotional issues. Of course, that's true. The problem with that is we do those people who really suffer from, whether it be chemical or abuse or something that's happened, trauma in their lives, that has really produced something uh, in the line of real self-rejection. But we do those people a great disservice when we just minimize it the way we do in our culture. Like, oh, yeah, me too. I have to love myself more too. You're looking very serious this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah. So man fell from God consciousness into, into a self-consciousness. And if you want to stay in prison, that's the place to stay, is to stay there. But God's rescued it. I love the, I love the uh, verses. Megan, she's not here. I love the verses of that song. You know, I, I love you, O Lord, my God. You know, you're my high tower. You're my peace. Um, I, I love the verses of that, uh, of that song. And you know why I love it so much? Because there's something in the heart of every human being that says, that's what I really want. There's a hunger in us for finding that safe place and being and living in that safe place where God is at the center. And that's not just a song we sing. Do you know that you and I are invited into a life of peace and joy and the deepest part of our being? So if you've kind of like been around church circles a long time, and you're like kind of, you know, I throw that stuff out. You know, that's just nice things we sing. We don't really believe it. I'm here this morning to tell you the Bible really believes it. The Bible really does tell us that there is such a life. And the beginning of that life is, where, where does the fall with, here we are just, we're celebrating Christmas, and we're celebrating the fact that Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us. God came to li live. He now the garden, we're back to a picture of the garden again. Okay, it's not the garden anymore, but God's back. And he's saying, nothing is going to deter me. Nothing is going to put me off. This is the place I am going to have with people that I love. He desires. He desires the fellowship and relationship of human beings in a way that you and I just can't comprehend. Nothing will stop him. This gracious, I want to tell you something. If you and I can figure out and think through the gospel and think through Christmas with your natural mind, you're not getting it. Because this is so amazing. This is so this impossible for a human being to get their mind around the fact that God would love you and me enough People, ordinary people, just like you and me, and say, I want to live with you. I want, I do, you cannot live your life alone without me. Do you understand that we were built 
with a hunger inside of us for God that nothing else will fill. Many have spent so much of our life trying to fill it with everything we can fill it. And, and you know what? So that thing that's deep inside of you that you say, oh, I don't know, you know, this thing, I just, what is it? I want to tell you what it is this morning. He made you to be hungry for him. And you'll never get satisfied. I don't care what, Jesus, she may be a 10, you know, he may be a 10. I don't care. Nobody is going to fill that place in your heart like he is. He won't let it happen. You want to talk about the Hunger Games? One of the problems, and I don't, I, I, did I see some of that movie? I did see one of the fir that first movie with one of my grandkids. I was like, the Hunger Games? This sounds, should I tell people I saw it? Huh? <laughs> it was pretty good? Yeah, somebody told me it was pretty good, so I saw most of it, I think. But I want to tell you that we have our own Hunger Games. And let me tell you what our own hunger games are. Our, whole, our own hunger games consist of this. Jesus isn't living on the inside of me the way I want him to. And so I, I'm not at that center place with him. And so that hunger is there. And so you know what we do? We go to each other and we try to have relationships. But rather than love one another, we try to suck life out of one another. Yeah, yeah, that's what we do. We're trying to suck life out of one another, and then we say, you know, sucking, sucking, and then all of a sudden, like, you know what? Uh, you're not meeting my needs. Uh, somebody out there is going to meet my needs. You're not the one, but... So we live from this deep place of hunger that's looking for something or somebody to fill it. Maybe now's a good time. I'm going to ask you to bring those two chairs up, my brothers, please. Thank you, Doug. I missed you, Doug. I hadn't seen you around. Good to see you, my brother. I know, we know Doug since he's, before he was born, he was our next door neighbor. I remember because he had two older sisters. When Doug was born, Jenny was born. And Doug used to come in our garage to play with John's toys. And Jenny used to go in your garage to play with your sister's toys. I just thought you might want to know that. I love Doug. <laughs> so this is the story. Pastor Tom talked about, get out of the chair. But I've been thinking since then, well, yeah, get out of the chair. Get out of the chair. And, and let's talk a little bit about the chair. You see, in that garden, in that garden, it says that Eve... One version says she grabbed the fruit. Another version said she took the fruit. You see, this is a picture of the human race without God. This is it. This is the chair. And that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I said before, is about, and what did, what did Satan say to her? Oh, he doesn't want you to eat this tree. And you know why? Because he knows the day you eat it, you're going to be like him. Hmm. Foolish woman, she was already like him, stupid girl. But she wasn't like him in the omnis. She wasn't omnipresent. She wasn't omni omnipotent. You know, all the things that only God can be. But Satan said, you know what? Take that tree and you'll be like her. And you know what? This is where Adam is the whole race of Adam. And we sit in this chair, and we sit 
in the center and our ego sits. When we're, before we come to know Christ, it's your ego who is sitting in that throne and, run, and, and living life from this position. And so when we're sitting in this position, you know, it's good for you to think about. When I talked a few weeks ago, I talked about the fact that we talked about your mind and how important it is. So when you're sitting in this chair, one thing that's very important to understand, when you come and surrender to Christ, give your life to Christ, we have to understand it wasn't just that we needed our sins forgiven. We needed something called Zoe life. Because man in Adam was dead. Dead to God. Dead, dead to God. And therefore, dead. No real life within him. And so, here's man, without life, trying to fill that hole with everything under the sun and never, ever being satisfied. Brothers and sisters, when we sang that song, There in the Shadow, God really has a place. This isn't the chair for it. But God really does have a place and a desire for you and I to know his life so real within us. He came to give you his very life. He didn't come to give you things. He came to live inside of you. And, okay, Lord, you need to help me here. Because this is one of my biggest frustrations in Western Christianity. Where do you hear that God, Christ lives in you, and he is living, he wants to live his life through you? I mean, where do we really talk about that? What does it feel like to, what, is it, what does it mean to have Christ living in me? What does it mean to have Christ flow out of me? Listen, it's the most important question as Christians you and I could ask. Because before anything else, what we've got to understand is that is central to the Christian message. The Christian message is you need life. And that's what Christmas is about. He came to give you, he who has the Son has the life. And if you don't have the Son, you don't have his eternal life. What's his eternal life? It, it's not like, I think James said it last week, it's not the life you're going to have when you die out there. It's a quality of life. It's Jesus living his very life through you. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. My ego has been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I, it's still me, I live, but not me. It's Christ living his life through me. Brothers and sisters, Jesus came back to get his rightful place in this world. And the first place that you and I give him his rightful place is inside me. I am pretty tired of a gospel on the airwaves that only talks about an outside savior. I've got news for you. If all Jesus ever did was save me on the outside and let me go to church meetings and have me, you know, read Bible and, and read books. I'm, I'm not putting the Bible down when I say that. But I want to tell you something. Jesus was crucified because he was an inward savior. And I want to ask you this morning, how has he saved you on the inside of your life? How has he saved you where nobody else is in the inner recesses of your heart? 
How do you respond when temptation comes, when sin comes, when problems come, when mountains are in your life? I'm saying to us this morning, we need to rebel against a Christianity that's just about outside religion. Jesus came to save you on the inside of you. He came to rule with his peace. He came to rule with his rest. And this is not a fairy tale. And every, every thought right now in the room that says, really, really, I want to say, yes, really, really. He came to live on the inside of me. Two things God's always doing in your life. He's tearing down your ego and building up your new man. He's always, always doing that. Don't get confused. He's never tearing down your real, the real you, but he is tearing down your ego. He's letting your ego hit the wall over and over and over again. You know why? Because before Jesus comes and takes his rightful place in this planet, you and I have the job in this lifetime to put him in his rightful place inside you. To put him on the throne in my life. And that means there's a place of rest deeper than your mind and deeper than your heart, deeper than your feelings. Jesus, James, Pastor James talked about living in the presence. I want to say this morning that not only are you called to live in the presence, you're called to live out of the presence. You're called to live out of a life the river flows through you out to a world. Jesus said on the day of the feast, he said, and if you eat of me and drink of me, rivers of living water will flow out of you. Until that happens, you're still wondering why life isn't, like, isn't working for you, why you can't get this Christian thing together. I want to tell you, Jesus wants to come in and sit on the throne of our hearts and when he does, he brings rest. You see, he's the God that worked and then rested. But when he created man, man rested and then worked. You see, until you and I get straight and put him in his rightful place and realize that your job is not to sit here and work it all out, I want to tell you something. God is the giver and he's the doer. And the Gospel of John says, this is the work of God, that you believe in the Son in whom God sent. Do you know what the problem is with us? We come to Christ. We have a very real experience. It's all grace. We live in the luxury of, oh, my gosh, he's real. And then suddenly, just like the book of Galatians, Paul has to go back to those people. He had been there. He had taught. He had brought the, the message of the Gospel and then a few years later, he finds out they, some Judaizers and people, religionists who wanted to put people back under the law, try to please God yourself. So please God yourself. Forget about grace. And Paul had to say to them, are you out of your mind? Has a witch put a hex on you? You started with grace. Grace, will, brothers and sisters, amazing grace is not about just when you start your Christian life. Amazing grace is through your whole entire life. Amazing grace is for every moment of your life. Because God is the gifter and the doer. 
And do you know why you can't get victory over things in your life? God is telling you to stop trying and let him live his life through you. Now, I want to tell you something. We talked about the mind when I started a few weeks ago. This is where the battle is. You see the rivers flowing in your spirit, but the devil wants to stop the flow. And the best way he wants to stop the flow, I don't care what he uses, whether it's sin or depression or, or being offended at somebody or worrying, his job is to stop you from living from that place of center, deep within, in that place of peace. Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about so many things. Mary's chosen the right part. You know what she chose? Stay connected to me. If you hear nothing else this morning, I want to advise you that the enemy has one goal, and that's to pull you out of your connection with him. He doesn't care what you buy. He doesn't care how you buy it. He doesn't care. If he comes to you and you're going to worry, that's great. Get your eyes on yourself. Get your, try to get your life somewhere else. Try to get your peace somewhere else. Try to get your rest somewhere else. The real, job, the real school that you and I are in is how do I stay in Christ, in that place? You see, it's kind of like the prodigal son and the elder brother. Give me a little line, Joe, and I've got about 10 more minutes. Okay. It's like the elder brother and the prodigal son. Here they are home in the father's house with everything they need, but what happens? There's a temptation to go leave home and go find it somewhere. Go find what you're looking for somewhere else. When all they've ever had and needed was right there in the Father's house. Isn't that like you and me? We get pulled out. Go find your peace. Go find your identity through that thing, that person. If you get into that, go, you do that thing, that drug, that whatever that addiction may be. You know, that's what you really need. It'll give you peace. We don't hear those words, but that's really what it's doing. Brothers and sisters, there is a peace and a place that God wants you and me to live. It's real. It's Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I want to ask you this morning, what does it feel like to you when you're in that right place with God and you're centered? And you, you know who you are. Uh, you know, it's difficult to find words because I don't know what, everybody's got their own experience. You know, for me, when I, I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you what I'm like when I get out of my center. I'm worried. I'm impatient. I'm overwhelmed. This is what I've been saying to myself these days. When I find, uh-oh, oh, Linda, you, you bid on something. You bid on something. Okay, you're out. You took the hand, you went to the car country, or you were out in the field with the elder brother. This is what I say to myself. I don't beat myself up. I used to do that. Now I say, Linda, go home. Go home. What, what are you doing out here, looking out here for your identity, your approval from people? What are you doing out here, Linda? You, you know this isn't the place for you to be. Now, go home. Get back to your peace. And I don't always get my peace immediately, but at least I know I'm out of my peace. And then when you get back into peace, let me tell you, you get back into peace, suddenly light comes to you. 
things that you were trying to do when you were sitting in this chair, using your flesh, manipulating people, um, trying to coerce God to do what you want him to do. What does it feel like when you're sitting in this chair? It's good for you to know what it feels like so that when you feel that, you can stop. Now, remember when we talked, we talked about the fact that our amygdala, when, we, when, our, when our brains start to sense that there's danger, it's not very discerning, and if somebody says a bad remark to me, I, my, my amygdala can perceive that as a threat and start flooding me with chemicals, right? We talked about that. And we said, you know, sometimes it's drip by drip. It's good to find out when it's starting so you can stop it there before it's a full-fledged uh, uh, kidnapping. Because your, those chemicals will kidnap your brain and you'll wake up later the next morning and think, what did I say and what was that all about? Anybody here ever, were there one or two people here that have experienced that? One thing I never got to say last week was, that week was to say this. The third thing you need to do. See, again, the world, the flesh and the devil are conspiring to pull you out of that place of rest. Jesus said it this way. He said, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the rest of faith that my senses are given. That's a rest. How many of you felt re some kind of rest in your life when you knew your sins were forgiven and that was forever behind you? But that's not the, that's not the, the whole scripture. He said you'll find rest. Then he goes on to say, learn of me because I'm meek and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your soul. Brothers and sisters, our job and sitting on a hill we're going to be inundating you because we're, because we're talking to ourselves too. This needs to be a church that majors on the majors. And you know what that means? It means the most important thing in your life and mine is being connected with Jesus Christ. Everything else after that flows from that place. And I don't mean when I say connected, some sort of ethereal, you know, um, you know, totally disassociated from life. I'm saying that in my life, I know very well on a very real feeling level when I am centered in God and when I have left home. Do you? Do you know what it feels like? But I want to say this. I want to end with this. Jesus said you'll find rest for your soul. Learn of me. I'm meek. You know what meek is? Let go. Meekness is flexibility and an ability to let go. John the Baptist, an amazing man in the Christmas story. Do you know, all he was baptizing people. Read this in, in John 3. He's baptizing people, and suddenly one day, Jesus came on the scene, and all, of John, and this, all the people started leaving John and going to Jesus. And John's disciples came to him and said, Master, they're all leaving you, and then they're going, they're going to, to, to him, your cousin. Do you know what John said? Nothing's given you unless it's given to you by heaven. 
I want to tell you that that verse has meant more to me in my life. Do you know there's nothing given to you that's not given to you by heaven? And so when you're worried about losing a relationship, you know what you can say? Well, it was given to me. And if it was given to me, I don't have to try to keep it. it I'm, I'm going to trust God with it. And if God should remove it, I'm going to trust his will. Meekness, flexibility, let go. Stop being the owner of your... You see, when you're sitting in this chair, you're the owner of everything. You own your spouse, you own your kids, you own your possessions, you own yourself, you own your health, you own it all when you're sitting in this chair. And you know what God said? Jesus said, if you want the kind of soul rest I'm talking about, you're going to have to look at me and model me, and I'm flexible, I'm meek. You know what that means? I am a steward of all that the Father has given me. I, do you understand that in the Bibles it's God and Christ and Father, and Son. When it talks about God as highest, it's talking about the authority of the kingdom, government. When it's talking about Father and Son, it's talking about grace. Brothers and sisters, may I say this? I am really, really disturbed. First of all, in our culture again, there's such little res respect for authority. Did you notice that? Such a spirit of lawlessness. You know what? It's in the church, too. Can I be brutally honest with you? Children don't address us the way they used to, pastors. We try to say something to somebody and try to correct people, and oh, oh, not everybody. But I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters, this is for all of us. It's not the person. It's the function you're in. And when you and I play around with God's government and decide that we will not submit to authority, we are taking ourselves, you know what? It's father, son, man, woman. When you get out of that line and you start to decide that you want to be over here and do your own thing, you put yourself right in the enemy's way. I want to tell you the safest place for you and me to be is under the authority of God. When I said Jesus is coming back, to put his foot down and take his rightful place. He needs his rightful place in the church, doesn't he? He needs his rightful place in me first. My mind has to be under the government of God. My body has to be under the government of God. My relationships have to be under the government of God. Nobody's getting away with anything. Because, brothers and sisters, you realize there's a kingdom coming and there's a king who's going to rule and it's not going to matter, well, I don't know that I, you know what, I, yeah, I know he wants me to live on that street, but honestly, I really, where can I go to the, what, who can I talk to or go over at this person's head, because I don't think I want to live there. Can I tell you, in the kingdom, it's not going to be like that? I mean, I'd like to see some people, you know, some of you that have authority in this room, Mr. Canis here, I'd like to see him with the thousands of people that work under him, I'd like to see them go up to him and say, I'm, I'm not really sure I want to, you know, do that, like, I think I'm going to change my desk and move to the, you know. But Ted, you have a lot of people that work under you. Many of you do. Who would tolerate this? Why would God? This is the lifetime. In this life, we are to learn how to live under the government of God. And it starts with our minds. Because I want to tell you, unless, unless you and I, it, Christian life is the inner life. But I want to tell you, it's easy to find out whose inner life is in authority because you 
you'll have fruit. And this, mm, here you go again, Pastor. A lot of Christians walking around without the right fruit. Authority is a very big issue in our minds. And that's where the enemy wants to stop his life from flowing through you. It's right through your mind. Stop you, however, worry, fear. The third step I didn't finish telling you about was the Magdala. The third step is give thanks, praise, and give thanksgiving. Do you know that just as much as your Magdala gives chemicals, do you know that science now tells us that when you are filled with gratefulness and thanksgiving, your body floods with chemicals as well? Now wonder, God tells us, it's a sense of well-being, scientists say. Now wonder God is telling us to praise and give thanksgiving. Now wonder, we think he's just some egomaniac that needs this all the time. Oh, we love you, you're great, you're terrific. God, this isn't for God. This is Well, it is for God, and you should feel it's for God, but we're the byproduct of it. And I'm really closing up now. But honestly, there's just so much we could live here with. Brothers and sisters, get out of this chair. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that Christ, after he finished and got his victory, he sat down at the right hand of the Father on his throne. And then you know what else it says? What else does it say? We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Get out of that chair where you're living a separated life alone trying to manage life alone, trying to do it yourself, sit and get in the throne chair and, fur and get into rest the fact that it's already accomplished. Everything you need, the Father has already provided for you. Sit down with him. Do you know what my spiritual mother used to do when she had a problem? She'd say, Linda, you know what? I am just so upset about this. I know what I'm going to do. That was her way of telling herself, I am going to sit in the victory that's already mine. I'm not going to try to handle this thing separated alone. I'm going to sit here and say, I have the victory right now in this situation, no matter what it looks like, I have the victory. And I want to tell you, we need to stop praying sometimes and just praise God it's already done. You've prayed enough about this situation. Somebody needs to hear me this morning. You've prayed enough. Stop praying. You've asked. He's heard you. Now it's time to sit down and say, thank you, Lord. You've heard me. I don't care what it looks like. You're working in the unseen. And I want to tell you, you'll get your praise back. You can pray your faith away. If you've prayed, he's heard you. Now believe him and say, okay, I am resting in the finished work that you've done. It's already mine. Do not let the devil get you praying and praying in a cycle that just makes you angry with God. Stop it and start praising him. What does praise and thanksgiving do? It floods you with the chemicals of well-being, and it's the truth. That's the point. It's the truth. I, everything I need is in God. He's good. I don't care what it looks like. Do you know when Jesus said, when he, when he said those words, come unto me all ye that are weary and heavy laden, do you know the circumstances he was in? He was, 
he, people came to him and they were calling him a wine bibber and a glutton because he sat with sinners. There were three, there were a number of towns that wouldn't even let him come in. They didn't even want him. And not only that, but John the Baptist's disciples had come to him and said, are you really the Christ? Are you really the one we're supposed to look for? Under those circumstances, the Lord Jesus, it says, looked up and said, Father, I thank you. All things are in your hand. Basically, if you've allowed this, then I am going to believe you and trust you. I'm going to surrender right here, and I'm going to do it not in some sort of white flag, things stink, I surrender, you know, everything's going to fall to pot. It's a surrender that says, I let go. I take my hands. I get out of this chair. I don't understand. It's a mystery to me. It's dark, and I don't get it, God, but you know what? I say, yes, I am going to, in the midst of these circumstances, I am going to believe you. I'm going to believe you, I'm going to praise you, and I'm going to thank you no matter what it looks like. Stop praying and start praising, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Father, we thank you this morning. You're not a man that you would lie. And Father, I, pray, I just have such a sense that there's heavy, and, uh, heavy burdens in this room, and I'm just asking you, Lord, that you teach us to get out of the chair of that separated life, me by myself, trying to rule life from this chair. And that you would teach us and help us to see life seated with you in, heavenly, in the heavenlies, sitting with you in that throne. Because once I sit down with you, everything changes. The scenery changes. Even though... Lord, even though my circumstances may not immediately change, I can sit there and know I already have the victory. It's already mine. And I can sit and wait on your timing. I can wait on your method, however you want to bring it to pass. You're going to see me sitting here praising you and thanking you, even if I don't get it and I don't understand. I declare this morning for every person in this room, Father, for every problem, for every family that's in here, I declare this morning that we have the victory in Christ Jesus. No matter what it looks like, no matter how dark it may seem, no matter how, how, how hard the road may be right now, Father, we declare this morning victory is ours. It's given to us by our amazing Savior who came to, to live life with us. Father, we bless you and praise you for it. We're going to give you all the glory. As we come to your table, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this table. That is a, is a um, confirmation, just you once again telling every, every person that walks up to this table this morning, the victory is yours. Don't look, by, don't look at your outside. Don't look at your circumstances. You know, that's one thing about the devil and the flesh. It always comes from outside. God always does things from the inside out. The world and the devil come from the outside in. And so the devil wants you to just get your peace and your rest or try to get it from the outside circumstances. You know, good luck to us, right? But Jesus says this morning, Jesus says this morning, there's a place in me, there's a place in you that I live. Abide in me and I in you. Make your home in me and I'll make my home in you, says the Lord. And Lord, right now I'm asking you for every person in this room will have a real Understanding a deep sense of knowing what it feels like when you're sitting on your rightful place within me. When your peace is like the river flowing, 
And we can sit when the circumstances hit and we can say, no, stop. And take a few deep breaths and say, Lord, I praise you right now. Lord, you live in me today. I'm crucified. That old me that separated me, that's dead. But I just want to thank you. The life I now live, I live by your life. You live in me. Let your life flow through us today, Lord. And we confirm that today at this table. Bless these elements. Bless, Lord, I, I lose revelation in this room that we will really catch it this new year. That there's another life in us, deeper than our mind and deeper than our emotions. There's a river. There's a river of your life. Come forth in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.